Hello, Hive Nation. Welcome back to the Hive Nation podcast. Each week, we have leading experts in personal and professional development share their journeys and expertise to help you connect, engage, grow, and evolve. Now, here's JB to introduce today's guest. Hey, thanks a lot, Greg. First of all, shout out to the oil and gas and energy workers this morning. It's minus 38 here, and uh, yeah, I'm warm, so thank you. Um, this morning, uh, we, have a, we have a great guest again this morning, actually. Um, we have a very... Uh, Young in my eyes, entrepreneur, uh, Mr. Mackenzie Fingerhut uh, from the northern region of the uh, advanced area of Alberta, Alberta, Canada. Uh, so, Mac, uh, first of all, welcome and uh, thanks for being on the uh, podcast this morning. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we're staying warm up here too. Damn cold outside, but it's pretty nice. Just turn up thermostat and everybody's staying warm. Funny how that works, though, hey? Uh -huh. uh, so, so Mac, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, so Mac is uh, growing up on a family farm, uh, your typical family farm where uh, grain and, and uh, you know, it's basically a... Do you guys have a di diverse farm? Is, do you have anything? Do you have cattle? Used to uh, Buffalo side of the operation, but uh, with the oncoming of the BSE, uh, issue there that uh, that side of the operation has actually been sold off but now we're just grains and oil seeds so you know mac decided that he was going to uh wanted more than just a uh to to farm and your farm with your with your father correct correct and uh so mac decided to uh let his entrepreneurial uh juices flow and start an egg retail off of the farm with his dad and uh, but not just any egg retail, kind of a niche egg retail. And the uh, the idea around it is, you know, being the ability to grow it and to grow it fast. And so uh, we're going to talk to Mac today about how he decided to a get into that and b how he decided to tools to use in order to grow it and you know where he sees it going. So Mac, I'll, I'll pitch it off here to you. Um, you know, how did you decide to get into the egg retail space and to, you know, want to, you know, grow it into something other than just, you know, selling like your typical egg retail products? Yeah, you bet. So I guess it all started, uh, come out of school. I went to Olds College for two years, took my uh, egg management diploma there with a major in commerce. And, um, Bigger thing I learned there, not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. And through um, through a couple of connections there, I ended up working for Rob Sake and the team at Eggvisor Pro. And from that, uh, how it all kind of started, I got introduced to the guys at Bushel Plus and literally just started uh, slinging Bushel Plus drop pans off, uh, off the back of my truck, showing guys how they can uh, save a little grain off their combines. And I yeah just did that kind of when I had a spare week weekend or free day here in afternoon during harvest or something so naturally the timing for that product was challenging to uh, to try and build as rapidly as i was hoping to um but then i guess from that i more learned that i i, I frankly i enjoy driving around talking with guys showing them different ways of doing things uh kind of and educating too. That's that's a large part of what I've found with these niche products. I ran a large portion of it is education. Um, but no, I just found that I really enjoyed doing that. So I kept expanding the product lines to be able to 
offer offer I guess different solutions for different guys because there's no one size fits all type mold and one thing grew to the next and eventually we were selling uh, selling aggregate fertilizers and offering custom spreading which um, again took the education piece of how you can manage nutrients a little bit differently on farms um, using slow release nutrients multi-year nutrient plans looking at the cost advantages of that uh, logistical advantages and just some of the agronomic advantages as well. And through that has become a pretty laborious process of validating and proving the efficacy of all these products. But through that, not only educating other producers, but myself on better and different ways. And we've got the unique ability of having the farm to vet and try a lot of these products on. So I can give some firsthand uh, insight to how the products work, how they handle the advantages we've seen. Uh, so I think that is, is pretty unique. And now just uh, recently this year, we're expanding into the granular market as well, trying to offer once again, more and different solutions because the sometimes multi-year nutrient plan doesn't fit all the farms or just the application window isn't going to be ideal. So we, um, we made the jump into the granular fertilizer market again, still focusing on niche products that um, we can grow grow more rapidly into the business space than just selling your and map or something like that. Um, you still need these products to complement them, but yeah. So our business model is changing a little bit in the way we're delivering some of the product and just frankly the form and some of the logistical challenges that we're trying to overcome. Um, but the kind of core business value is staying the same of trying to provide better alternative solutions. Cause a lot of times there is, uh, is a better wheel out there, not necessarily, uh, all of them, but, uh, that's once again, where we have the farm to kind of pick through and, uh, vet which ones we want to try to bring to market. And yeah, it's been fun along the way. We've been able to integrate, uh, like I said, a custom application service to our business model as well as some soil sampling and tissue sampling and uh yeah just trying to grow it from there with data and insights and just keep all the cards on the table for guys to see what we're seeing what works and what doesn't so it uh kind of grew out of i guess having a few free weekends and wanting to see if i can uh sell some drop pans and it's just grown from there i've enjoyed doing it enjoy meeting guys and yeah that's fun so what's your opinion on having a job versus, you know, working for yourself and, you know, making your own inroads? Uh, I've tried the whole working on some sort of fixed schedule job, integrating that with the farm. And frankly, uh, I never found great success in that myself because uh, the way even just the farm and any sort of ag, uh, ag models work, it, uh, pretty tough to have a predictable schedule and for people to rely on you to be available at certain times just um it really worked for me so I always found it more uh more successful doing my own thing set my own hours and uh I do also like the being uh rewarded for directly as hard as you work so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what would you, what would your uh what would your words of wisdom be to anybody 20 something listening to this that are thinking about you know getting into their own business or or creating their own you know hours uh within doing anything it doesn't have to be within the egg industry it could be with any within any industry um i'd say there's no better time to do it than now 
the way I was looked at it, what's, what's your absolute worst case scenario? Okay. You're 21 something flops. Like you, you still got your whole entire life ahead of you. There was, there was no better time for me to do it than right now. Like realistically looking at it, I can dedicate as much time as I need to. it. don't need to worry about uh, other larger responsibilities or commitments in my life. I could just, if I had to head down, ass up, hunker down and uh, work towards something, it's, uh, it's easy to do now. And you I found too, there's no, no time when you're going to have more energy to do something like that than right now. It's, um, I guess a little daunting at first, because a lot of the time you're going to be going into the industry where there's some, some old players and, uh, everybody is going to look at you as a baby faced uh, college graduate and, uh, just got to overcome that with enough confidence to, uh, yeah, show guys, you know what you're talking about, whether, whether you a hundred percent do or not, you got to be able to, uh, make people think that and it's uh, yeah I mean the biggest thing that I've found success in is I guess you could probably correlate it back to the 80-20 rule um, you can spend forever trying to nail down the exact perfect approach this and that but I mean just 20% what's it 20% of the work it's 80% of the way there so I've been um, huge on utilizing that to um try to maintain some sort of time efficiency. And uh, no, that's what I'm running to just still not, not enough hours in the day. So. That's a fantastic answer, Mac. Thanks. That, I, I love that answer. You talked about the, the daunting task of just entrepreneurship at a young age in general. Uh, but I want you to touch on for the listeners, Mac, how you manage such a complex industry, you know, just even if we just look at your farm business alone, uh, people in the egg industry understand that you're an accountant, you're a businessman, you're a mechanic, you're a agronomist, you're a scientist, you're all of this, all these hats, even more so than most uh, you know, other entrepreneurship industries, if you will. But how do you manage the complexity of what, uh, what your role brings? So I was really fortunate. I was brought into pretty much every role of the farm at a very young age. Um, I got a, Give kudos to my dad, John, for that. Um, like right away at 16 years old, I was involved in lots of the major decision making, why we're doing certain things, whether it's the fertility planning, the crop planning, the the financing, the operation, all of that. So I was brought into that at a, at a pretty early age. So that really helped me get that hands-on experience. And I guess my my best answer to that is there's no no better way than just simply getting your, getting your hands dirty and trying it, learning from it. Um, and that's where kudos to John again, he was really, really big for, uh, not being afraid to make the mistakes as long as you're learning from it. And, um, I'd be a fool to say we haven't made our fair share of large mistakes over the last even seven years of farming, uh, since I've been brought to the operation. So it's, um, there's no better, no better way to learn than actually, uh, failing and seeing what went wrong and trying to break that down. Like you can't, uh, you can sit there and focus on that forever. The fact that something went wrong or didn't work or you lost cash here or something, but it's bigger to me that you learn from that. And John's always put a huge emphasis on that is okay. Well, that didn't work. Well, I'm, shit won't do that again. So or try something different next time. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what I found has been my biggest success with that is actually learning from what didn't work more than what did work. 
you know, we talk about having a, a mentor all the time. And obviously your dad was a, a huge mentor for you. So, you know, mentorship for you obviously takes you, you know, helps you get past the, the maybe some of the past experiences that your dad had that, you know, maybe failed. Obviously, you're, you know, you're not going to do that again. And your dad learned from it and, you know, so passed it down to you. So what would you say on the on the next generation that, that maybe you're going to bring into the world now that, you know, that you would say, okay, well, this is, <clears throat> this works, this doesn't work, or, you know, maybe just uh, by trial and error, however you got over it? Um, see, I'm hoping I can approach it with the same open mind uh, that John does, because frankly, what I'm finding, and so many time and time again, especially with agriculture, what's working now might not even work next year. It, it might work for the next five, 10 years, great, but uh, even 12 months from now, there might be something better, different, some new uh, angle to approach things at. So I think um, like a big part of it is going to be that open-mindedness and that pliability to to be adaptable to that. And um, I think in agriculture, lots of people are used to that um, being kind of a natural stumbling block because this is the way we've always done it. Um, it's always worked this way. Like just stick stick to the stick to the program. Uh, don't fix something that isn't broken and. I mean, there is some truth to that, uh, the old uh, KISS um, acronym, keep it simple, stupid. But um, I think within that, there's always some room for uh, for building blocks to be added. Um, and that's, a, I guess, a big thing to agriculture as well. And I think that gives, gives me a bit of a competitive edge over that as well, is understanding the logistical portion to it. Because you can get way down to the weeds with all the... Uh, all the technicalities of any sort of product or any solution you want, but still being able to look at the logistical side of it. So I guess to your answer there, JB, bringing in the next generation, I'm hoping that uh, I can maintain as open-minded as, um, as John is and be, be pliable and open to new and different approaches. Cause like, if you look at the advancement in agriculture in the last five years, compared to the last 50 even before that like the growth curve is exponential and you can't even try to guess where we're going to be at in five years 10 years like you'd be just taking a shot in the dark to try to guess where we're going to be at in 20 years so um and that's an interesting thing i've found with the kind of the entrepreneurial path by nature i'm not a very patient person i want um naturally i want to see it planned out lots in advance, being able to make these plans, refine it, be efficient, but keeping that 80-20 rule in mind and sometimes just sitting back and being patient, letting letting the process happen has been more successful than trying to force it in a lot of ways. Um, and just being ready for when it is happening, that's when sometimes you got to help push the wagon up the hill, but you um, a lot of times just got to be patient and let, uh, let it take its course, which is something I know I struggle with, but, um, yeah, once again, John is uh, pretty good for that. So I hope I can try to integrate that same level of patience and open-mindedness. I'm glad you said it like that, because, uh, that was my lead into my next question. How important is technology in your, in your, uh, operation going forward? Oh, it's, uh, it's pretty huge. Like, I mean, one thing I know that always gets overlooked on farms and we are, working with some some tech solutions to try to see how we can overcome this is 
fact that a combine takes uh, a data point every eight seconds is taking latitude, longitude, yield point, uh, moisture point. This is, especially if you look at a John Deere combine, once you integrate them 100%, there is, you get a millions of data points every year from every crop. And lots of times, even the yield data points aren't being leveraged and utilized. There's a lot of insights that can be pulled from every step of the way. And one big stumbling block with it is the kind of implications that some of our rural connectivity up here has uh, on some of these tech products. And I know Starlink for one is going to start to solve some of them, but there's uh, yeah, a million different data points being taken at every step on the farm or even in a retail business and being able to hold insights from that is going to be huge in the next, uh, next probably 24 months on our operation anyways, because we know, we're half the way there of getting to where I'd like to see us with our tech, even on our farm. Um, and a large portion of that is keeping it simple and easy enough that when the pressure of a tight harvest or a tight seeding window comes in, that you still are um, being able to utilize that technology. And there's no, once again, no better way to prove uh, it's working or isn't if you can verify it across 10,000 different data points and have this ginormous data set to prove what's working and what isn't. And it's ultimately it comes down to uh, if the operators in the cab are still following along the protocols for that. But once again, there are a lot of great ways to keep that simple going forward. And uh, yeah, I, uh, that is one rabbit hole. I don't, uh, I don't mind going down a lot of time is some of the tech on the horizon. And it uh, really does excite me with different, um, different avenues, different ways to approach all these things are coming in the market, whether it be even new carbon measurement technologies or better variable rate uh, validation technologies. Um, there's everything is, everything's got its fit and some farms will fit, some it won't. So trying to figure out what, what product works for what farm I think is going to be the biggest, uh, biggest stumbling block going ahead with uh, with the ag tech space because there is yeah there's there's thousands of different solutions of different products and each of them have their unique fit but trying to tailor uh tailor a product each farm will be uh, rather challenging going forward i do know that but it's uh yeah it's fun exciting once again we get to get to try them all i get to get our operator feedback see okay man we ran to some tight uh, tight seating windows nobody changed a field name for the last four days of seeding, can we still extract something from this data? So even those um, reactive strategies to be able to utilize that data will be huge going forward. But Very cool. Um, so for, for the listeners uh, to kind of queue up this next question, Mac is a client of ours on the, on the buzzy side of sales coaching. Uh, with all of these data points, I'm going to quickly connect it to baseball. Baseball is really good for this because they've always, for a long, long time, they've collected tons and tons of data points. And for a lot, a long time, people went, these stats don't matter. Why should I care about this data point? So with your systematic approach, Mac, how do you decide what data points you're going to follow? Is it trial by error? You know, do you, do you look at, you know, we care more about these specific things so we're going to track the data points that are closely related to that or is it 
something completely different? Um, so it's pretty systematic, like you're saying, Greg. Like the first easiest set of data points to focus on is always just your yield points. And ultimately for farms, that's how we're figuring out our, our, our like ROI. And that's ultimately the bread and butter is the yield. But if you really want to get uh, into some of the technicalities of different products, you start looking at like lots of productivity data points, um, throughput on combines, moisture points, because um, you can correlate moisture to some of your like maturity differences and different varieties of products, something like that. And I guess our approach right now is really trying to hone in what those yield points mean and what trying to correlate it back to changes that we're making. Obviously you need to take a very systematic approach, just change one variable at a time, whether it be your nitrogen product or phosphorus product or rate or application timing or something like that, but trying to correlate those yield points to change of practices is kind of our low hanging fruit right now. But an interesting one that we're going to start working with is um, soil soil available moisture and using what's known as like moisture driven yield potential for determining in crop uh, fertility adjustments. It's going to get a little bit technical with the use of uh, multiple moisture probes across our farm and like different independent weather stations to determine that yield potential. So the, the basic theory is uh, if you get a half inch of rain, how many more bushels do you have potential to grow? And do you have sufficient groceries on your land to be able to provide that? So you need the base understanding of the nutrient profile in your soil first and how that's correlating to yield. And then you need to add on the layer of, okay, half inch of rain. What, what upward potential do we have now? So being able to be reactive with that um, in season is going to be, I guess, a challenge as well, just timing and uh, logistically. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So that's kind of the next level of what we're looking to integrate. And yeah, you can you can keep building onto that uh, for for quite some time, actually. And there's a whole bunch of different layers we can keep adding onto that with once you start looking at yield potential and different factors uh, involved with that. So, Mac, even though the data points are specific for your farm, is there an opportunity to sell those data points or the, the data period uh, for a larger, bigger picture? I think there is when it comes to like, that's always been the thing with ag data. And if, if anything is actually offered free, it's never really free. They're taking your data and turning around and selling it. Like that's, that's no, no secret, but I think what um, like one that comes to the forefront of my mind is trying to look at potassium efficiency across the peace country as a whole. Um, Cause we're starting to see, I'd say in about, 70, 75% of the canola that we've tissue tested over the last couple of years is this potassium deficiency and trying to understand that. Um, I'd love to be able to start with our farm, but if you can even use yield data and refined satellite imagery to try to determine these nutrient efficiencies, um, I think there could be like, that's just one bigger picture that comes to my mind right away is looking at how our farm's reacting and then similar soil profiles and soil types. Um, we can likely see the same sort of reaction because the peace country as a whole is kind of a nice little isolated, uh, isolated pocket here up in, uh, up in Northern Alberta. And there is no doubt anything for playground sand, the gumbo up here, but for the most part, 
Um, lots of peach country faces similar challenges. So I think, uh, I think there absolutely is a way that you can extrapolate it to a bigger picture. And that will be challenging at first because of some of the variation in soil types. But I think with enough data points, you can reliably build a, build a data set that you can be pretty comfortable with. And if nothing else, it, uh, it gets you in the door to dive into the problems with a little bit more purpose. Like, hey, why are you actually doing a 10 grid sample of that field to try to determine what exactly, okay, we're seeing this potassium deficiency or something like that, just for example. So there's yep. definitely a way that that can be applied to a bigger picture. Super cool. Mm -hmm. With that, uh, with all of that data, uh, data talk, um, distilling information like that and taking your process and your systematic approach, uh, like I said, you're a client of ours. How has coaching helped you progress your business um, from, you know, a year ago uh, or even further back to the progress you can make with having a coach uh, as part of that, as part of your business, sorry. Yeah, I guess, as you can see, my, uh, my brain can jump a million different directions, kind of the course of uh course of 30 minutes to wait till you give me 24 hours and I think just maintaining that focus because like I say I'm not a patient person by nature I just want to see things through to the finish line but a lot of times you need to take things in steps and be juggling 10 different projects at multiple stages at a time but still being able to remain focused because um, that's the biggest thing I'm running into now just uh, running out of time frankly and uh trying to maintain maintain direction in the business has been huge um like a huge benefit of having having a coach and uh, kind of that support behind me to okay why are you spending as much time over there that's a that's a 36 month problem you got a, a a three to six month problem right here you should be focusing on and well we're still in startup mode and building the team Building the team slowly, but it's still definitely not where we need it, um, is just keeping that focus. Like there's, you can get lost down so many rabbit, uh, rabbit holes, especially, uh, I find with agriculture and you just not seeing the ROI from it. It's trying to remember where that low hanging fruit is and where you got to dedicate your time and learning how to delegate properly. I know that's something I need to, uh, I need to work on uh, personally. I know that's going to be a development. We got to keep uh, keep working towards. But uh, I guess a big one that sticks in my mind uh, is not uh, really how you're going to do it. It's who you're going to do it with. And I think that's the importance of having having the right team with you, whether it be the mentorship, like you're talking to John, the ongoing business coaching, the the employee base we're going to try and build, and the team we're going to try to work with. Um, I think it's going to be huge going forward and still trying to stay focused because even uh, even once you have the people if, uh, if the whole team is focused in the wrong direction it can uh, sink you equally as quick as if you have no team and there's one person's focused in the wrong direction so absolutely you hit the nail on the head though mac with uh, the time uh thing uh so you know make sure that you're keeping that in mind that your time is very valuable and you need to run your business. You need to work on your business, not necessarily in your business, even though you, you know, you're startup. So you do a lot of that, but so just keep in mind that 
you know, you can't, uh, you can't please everybody. And to build off what JV said too, entrepreneurs as a whole, whether you're, you know, day one or day 2059 and being an entrepreneur, uh, it's hard not to work in your company when you should be working on it. Uh, now go back onto the farm and a, being an agriculture entrepreneur, that's even harder because your farm is your life is your family. So how do I not work in that business? Uh, and I think kudos to you, Mac, as a, as a business owner, as entrepreneur, we've been working through that and we're continuing to, to build that, that structure on how can I delegate it to hiring employees, making sure that, you know, we have this shoot and this shoot and these pillars in place where I and John can go work on the truly important business matters and not have to worry about the mundane, you know, important still soil samples, crop checks, certain things like that, that, yeah, we can do and we're really good at, but that's a job somebody else can do while we're doing business calls and big deals with with new companies so for you to to realize that at this stage in in a business i think a lot of business owners can take a take a look and should maybe give you a call uh on that matter yeah and i guess i would just point them to uh to somebody that can help them really see what their time is worth and how they should be handling that. And I mean, that's, that's, that's all in that back end team. And it's interesting. You mentioned the pillars, Greg, because especially with the farm, once you start looking at the pillars that make a farm business, like there's the day-to-day -day right here, but there's four other pillars in the background with the estate planning and the wealth generation and the, just the trying to manage the financial end of a farm and the succession of a farm is like two to three other huge pillars on the side here that take equally as much time. And it's, yeah, you no, know, the whole, the whole pillars concept, we've been talking about that lots as like, a, as a family business unit, what we need to improve, where we need to improve it. And then, yeah, biggest thing is just still, still find the people in the team. And I guess I can't echo that enough up here in the peace country, especially once you do have, um, and we're starting to build, we've got two really good, um, consistent members of our team now, and it's just going to be um, treating them that they work with us, not for us. And that has been a comment um, from our oldest, the uh, oldest kind of team member, Arella around uh, around town. Oh, how's it working for Finger Huts? Well, he uh, the way he answers that he uh, he feels that he works with us, so I'm. I'm happy for feedback like that. And I hope we can keep, uh, keep developing that. But I do know we are getting to the point that we are going to need kind of those standardized shoots and being able to uh, be able to keep doing that efficiently. So there's a great message there about developing trust that you just nailed. So trust can make or break, not even just business, but it can make or break your character and your life relationship, right? As soon as you break trust, like, Hey, I, this is me speaking personally. I'm, fairly quick to to trust somebody but as soon as they slip up and and lose it good luck that's that's about where that's going to end so to have that as a as a guiding factor and something that you're cognizant of uh that that, I, that alone is so so valuable oh yeah that's that's huge there's nothing uh and we've even touched on this greg there's nothing worse than that 
we can do in the startup of this business is um, overpromise and underdeliver, build mm-hmm. that trust and then lose it. Like that's, uh, and that comes back down again to managing that time efficiently. If we overpromise on one end and don't commit the uh, the time we need to it and underdeliver on it, like there's nothing nothing worse that could inevitably happen to uh, to some businesses uh, than that. Like it's yeah, the the whole overpromise and underdeliver that's uh, that's hugely what we're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. Mac, I think you nailed that. So I want to ask you one more question and answer it to your best ability without giving away uh, all of the trade secrets, but the under promise over deliver, is that one of the main reasons why you grew your business so much this year? Yeah, we have a large focus on the customer service component of our business. Um, Cause there is like a, like a price selling component, obviously, and everybody is you know, really price shopping to some degree, but even categorizing our customer base into different buckets and knowing where we got to focus on that customer service time has been hugely beneficial. And um, we've had some really good feedback from that because I think there is a lot of that lost in today's world. I don't know if it was COVID that caused that or what it is, is it just my generation? I don't know if uh, maybe if you talk to my dad or some of the older guys around the community here, oh, your generation just never knows how to come out and visit a guy for a good old coffee anymore or something like that. So I don't know if it's that, but there is something to the fact that we put a lot of time into face-to-face farm calls, doing crop complimentary crop scouting and tissue testing. And all these things take time and resources, but it makes the the corresponding sale of a product or service a lot easier when you don't just need to race to the bottom. And it's a lot easier of a business model to manage financially, not necessarily for uh, like logistically, because as yeah, you guys both know the the time component of uh, trying to even plan a day. Oh yeah, it's great. You can see four farms today, two of them backed out, one change of time. This guy wants to do this. It's like it, it's impossible to plan. And again, that's where I guess being patient, just letting the, letting the process take its course, just staying, staying committed, staying focused and just kind of uh, knowing that if you, you work at it hard enough, it will come. So yeah, I can't echo enough how important the customer service is. And we, uh, we even see that with our own farm as well, like um, where we make some of our buying decisions and our loyalties and there's nothing nicer than, um, having like, for instance, our crop protection retail, we don't, we don't even really price shop it or really know. We just know what we end up paying at the end of the year and trust that is the best they could do or worked around a program for us or this or that. And it, it just, from the, like putting my farmer hat on, there's that sense of security and having that trust in the customer support you're getting. And just take that one extra extra layer off things you need to worry or think about on the day-to-day it's just okay for a crop protection we know they got us covered like it's and those are the type of relationships we're trying to build and i um hope that we can continue to build those and then yeah be able to uh, maintain those relationships repeat sales are a lot easier than new sales what you did right there mac is create value and uh you know kudos to you for for you know recognizing that you know, it's not just about the price point. It's about everything else that's involved with that. So 
kudos to you for doing that. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the conversation today. It's been great. You bet. You bet. Appreciate uh, coming on. And like I said, as you can see, I can uh, go a million different ways and I hope to keep working towards uh, staying focused and keep pushing the needle ahead a little bit of time each day. Well, I hope we're, uh, we're part of that, uh, that journey with you as well, Mac. So thanks a lot. Looking forward to it. You bet. Awesome. Mac, if uh, anybody wanted to connect with you, uh, where could they do that? How could they find you? Uh, find me. Uh, that's actually our newly launched website here coming out uh, pretty quick, um, mjagsolutions.com. Um, lots of con good contact info there, Instagram as well. Uh, but yeah, we're not uh, huge into our marketing yet, but that is one thing we have discussed, Greg, how we're going to be pushing, uh, pushing that forward a little bit. But I'd say, yeah, look out for the newly launched website and uh, yeah, it'd be awesome. Exciting. Fantastic, Mac. Well, Great talking to you. All the best in 2024. We'll be working together and uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Stay warm. You bet. You too. We're out.